Uh, good evening. Peace be to you. Welcome to the youth service. Um, it's 7.30 um, and we will begin our service. But it's great to have you guys here. It's good to be here um, and it's great to have each and every one of you. We're so vital to one to another. You know, last year, uh, I mean last time, we realized how vital our audio operators are for our service, right? And we're so glad we were praying for them. They were um, not 100% feeling well, but today they're with us. Eager, David, God bless you, brothers. It's good to have you. And um, thank you for providing us, um, amplifying our voices. And so each one of you is equally important um, that we all gather because we need each other. Amen? We need each other. And I'm going to read before we pray, before we uh, continue on. I'm going to read uh, from today's bulletin, if you have the bulletin. It says, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Oh, we all know it's written in Colossians 3.13. We've heard that passage, right? That also as the Lord forgave you. Wow, how did the Lord forgive me? Have you ever tried listing all the things that the Lord forgave you? You know that the challenge is real. The reality is Jesus brought up a little, a little picture. He said, one man owed this amount of money. And at the time when he was talking about that, the amount of money that he, um, I don't remember exactly the number right now, but the amount of money that this person owed to the king, he could not pay with if he would live three times or five times in this earth, it was just beyond beyond something that the person can pay in his lifetime. So that's the amount that this person owed, and he was forgiven completely. And he was so glad that he was forgiven. He stepped out outside. The sun all of a sudden became brighter, right? He doesn't have to go to prison. He doesn't have to pay back all that debt. And he just ready to embrace everyone and be so loving and forgiving because he was forgiven. And he sees his friend, right, that owed him $5. Let's say $500. And he's like, brother, this is a good day. This is a good day, you know, because I'm going to forgive you. And you can go free, right? That's what he said. Anyone read the story? No, that's not what he said. As soon as he saw a poor guy, he said, I want every penny that you owe me. I want to, you to return it. And until you do that, I'm going to put you in the prison. You know, oftentimes that's what we do. 
I can think of number of people right now that decided to put other people into prison of unforgiveness. That decided that nothing, no amount of money will, or, or no matter how many times you will ask forgiveness, I will not grant you that forgiveness. And so the question for us, do we forgive people just like we are forgiven? You know, asking for forgiveness is so hard. Just teaching my kids, you know, to forgive, and, and especially with our oldest, Nahum, oh man, he was so resistive to, to you know, asking for forgiveness that he would sit and be in the corner for the longest time, but he would resist to ask for forgiveness. Um, praise the Lord. Actually, he learned, and now he runs to you and says sorry and hugs you, and it's much easier. But um, asking forgiveness, asking forgiveness. Just yesterday, I was not a very good husband, let's just say that. And um, at the end of the day, I knew that I need, needed to ask forgiveness. But I so didn't want it to do that. And analyzing myself, I understand that it's my pride that not allow me to ask forgiveness and to grant forgiveness to someone else. Because I enjoy being hurt. I enjoy being in that state of, it's like I have an advantage over the other person. And I like to remind myself how poor I am if somebody hurt me. And that's the reason we hold on to those things. And, and asking forgiveness requires um, a sacrifice or, or humbling ourselves, lowering ourselves and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and I need you to forgive me. I desire your forgiveness. Would you grant me that forgiveness? It's so humbling, you know? But that's what God desires. That's why so many people today are rejecting Jesus, wonderful gift of God, Jesus Christ. Because they are not ready to humble themselves and accept the gift. And accept the gift. So let's accept the gift. Let's forgive others. And let's um, be forgiven. Amen? Amen. Help us, Lord. We're going to stand up. We're going to pray and go into worship. Praise God, youth. Good evening. Um, I always like it when I'm preaching and before me, either the worship is on the topic of my sermon and it just affirms that God wants to say something tonight to someone. And my, my topic of my sermon today is walking in victory. And I'm trying to, I'll try to go through this really fast because I don't have that much time even though it's an important topic. And... Often, these are very simple truths, but oftentimes we'll forget them, and even I forget them sometimes. 
So I'm going to be preaching this to myself as well, as well as to you guys, so that we can repeat it over and over again. So I'm talking about walking in victory over doubts, walking in victory over unbelief, walking in victory over fear and condemnation, and walking in victory um, from addiction, whether it be uh, movies, games, lust, whatever your addiction is. And because if a Christian does not get freedom from, from addictions, then Satan can use that against him that he'll be ineffective and he'll be constantly defeated by his sin. And let me give you an example. Let me, let me, let me see if this sounds familiar to you guys, that a born-again Christian falls into sin. And I'm not talking about an unbeliever or just someone who calls himself a Christian, like a nominal Christian. I'm talking about a saved person who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, falls into sin. And when that individual falls into sin, the first thing that happens is instant regret and sorrow comes over them. And instant sorrow because they've sinned against God and they realize it. Instant regret because they've given in to that temptation. And then from that point, that individual has two routes to go. That individual can either uh, uh, get convicted by the Holy Spirit, repent, and keep following God. Or the second and most common path that people will take is the path of... um, is the path of fear, the path that says, um, I'm, how, how did I fall for this again, right? The person said, how did I fall for this again? I'm supposed to be a Christian now. I've repented. I've given my life to God. This doesn't work. I keep falling. Nothing has changed. And this is straight up condemnation from Satan. And all he wants to do is hammer you down with guilt and shame, so that you'll be defeated, you'll be absolutely depressed, you'll be angry at yourself, so that you don't want to pray. He wants to stop you from praying. He wants to stop you from reading the Bible. He wants to stop you from having fellowship with believers. And he wants to stop you from absolutely serving God because you think in your heart that God doesn't love you anymore and that you can't live up to his standards because you keep falling. And these are lies that are coming straight from hell. And the first step to victory over this stuff is knowing your position with Christ. And saying I'm not good enough is lacking understanding of the gospel. To believe that God doesn't love you anymore is a straight up lie. You know it's a lie. You know it's a lie yourself. But when you hear it so many times from Satan, it's hard to distinguish the lies from the truth. And the truth is that we were never good enough in the first place to deserve God's love and to deserve salvation. Us going to church, us serving in the ministry is not good enough to grant us our salvation. And Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we could be good enough... Like we say, God, I'm not good enough. If we could be good enough to deserve our salvation, then Jesus Christ died for no reason. Jesus died on the cross, and his death is not just an add-on to your good works. You say, I have good works, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff, and I also have Jesus Christ. That's not how it works. Jesus Christ 
is the center. Jesus Christ is not an add-on. He is your salvation. And his death on the cross, he took his sins on himself. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by, grace you have been, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that, one, so that no one may boast. Understanding the truth of the gospel absolutely destroys every lie that Satan is going to put against you. The lie that I'm not good enough because I was never good enough in the first place. And to think that God doesn't love you anymore when he says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrate his own love to us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved you as a lost sinner. You guys understand that Christ loved you when you were absolutely indulging in your sin and then now that you're a believer, now that you're a Christian and you fall for the sin and you're saying Christ doesn't love you, he loved you when you were a sinner, he'll love you when you re- repent and turn to him because he is your father and you are his son. So that's the first, first step is to knowing your position. And then, the, so the first step is knowing your Sorry, guys. First step is knowing your position in Christ. So what is my position in Christ? I have the gospel, and to know that I am loved by God, my salvation was free of charge and given to me. It was, I didn't deserve it. That my works didn't determine my salvation because it was given to me by grace through faith. My my position in Christ is that now that I have accepted Christ, I am a new creation. I'm no longer, I'm no longer Peter. Paul says that um, it is no longer I that live, that Christ lives in me because I died with Christ. So it is no longer I that live because I'm a new creation. Christ is in me. And then also in Galatians 2.20 it says... I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And the, another position that we have in Christ is that Satan can't condemn us because in Romans 8, the first verse in Romans 8, it says, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His death on the cross took away the only tool that Satan has against us. The only tool that Satan had against us was our unforgiven sin. And when Christ removed that, Satan has no hold on us. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're not no longer slaves to fear and going back into bondage with with the devil because we get our righteousness from Christ. And so we need to know who we are in Christ and we need to tell Satan that when he tempts us or condemns us, all these things, and there's so much more truth written and we have to keep reminding ourselves, not only ourselves, but reminding him. When he tells us you're unworthy to receive God's love, you say, yes, I am unworthy, I understand that. That's the whole point. God loved me so much that he sent his son for me. That is the gospel. 
So, did you see how easily it is to destroy the arguments of Satan? The second step is to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 11, verses... Ephesians 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 11 through 17. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces, against the... Against the world forces of against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, there stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness having having girded your loins means back in the day they used to wear men would used to wear these lawn it was almost like dresses it would be called a tunic and so when these men would go into battle to gird your loins because it is not comfortable and it's very impractical fighting with the dress they would grab the middle of their dress and pick it up and they would fold it into pretty much like shorts so he's saying Stand firm. Don't be in your relaxed state. Put on, put, gird your loins. Prepare for battle. You're, you're going to go into battle. Prepare for battle. Don't just stand there not ready. Then putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Our righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. And having shod your, your, sheep, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace... In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we are to put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation. Our salvation is not of ourselves, but it is of Christ. And when, um, when the devil comes up to you and tells you otherwise, you tell him, I have this helmet of salvation it comes through Christ, and just as we use God's word, and Jesus used God's word, his own word, to uh, remember when Jesus was being tempted, what did he say? He just quoted scripture. All the lies that the devil was telling him, he was re- replacing it with truth. And so, if we fill ourselves with the truth and believe it, Satan has no power. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The only weakness in this armor is ourselves because we don't put it on. This armor is bulletproof when we have it on, when we are walking in faith, when we are walking in the Spirit. Nothing can penetrate us. Nothing can do it. devil can't do anything. He will flee from you because you're resisting him with the full armor of God. But yet we walk in this battle every day, and we walk without our armor, and, we, and we're just being slayed. If you walk without armor, it's very um, foolish. And how would you expect to have victory if you're not putting on the armor of God? So tell Satan truth when being tempted. Even, even when you fall, tell Satan the truth because he has no jurisdiction over your life anymore. 
because you belong to Christ. And I was, uh, I was talking to my coworker, and it's pretty interesting. I've worked, so I'm an apprentice. I'm like a new trainee, and I have to work under a journeyman. And so I have to work under someone who has a lot of experience. And so, um, like, seven of the journeymen that I've, all, out of all the seven journeymen that I've worked under, three of them have been, like, truly born-again Christians. And they, they share their testimonies, and it's pretty crazy to, for me to run into, like, three in a row. And he's just talking about his experience and how he lived with insane depression for his entire life because... That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to put fear in your heart. He wants to steal the truth from you. He wants to condemn you when you already have victory in Christ. And he was living for a long time with that. And he was just sharing his testimony how God absolutely freed him from that. And now he's like, I've had freedom from this for five years. I had freedom from this. He would have insane anger issues where he would just like, um, he was telling how he was like, got so angry that he gripped his steering wheel and he churned it that it ripped off all the leather and he's just like um he he's had anger issues he had addictions and he said that after jesus after he was saved by jesus christ he's like every time i get temptation every time i get anything the first thing i say is that i'm a new creation in christ that's no longer me and if satan even tries to remind him of his old life he's like that's not me anymore i'm a new creation in christ you have no power over me and just keep saying that and keep saying that. And the devil will resist. You will resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I want to finish off with 1 John um, 2.8. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. Uh, we rarely have two sermons in a row, right? Something's like asking, let's pray or sing or do something. Um, I was going to invite you to sing again, but not going to do that. Would you like to pray with me? Let's actually pray. Let's all stand up and pray. Such a wonderful word. God help us. Lord, we come to you. We thank you so much for this. For this wonderful message, message of encouragement, because you have the victory. Jesus, you have overcome. We thank you, Lord, that we are no longer slaves to fear. I like that, God. Thank you so much that your love, perfect love, drives away any fear. Господь, твоя совершенная любовь написана изгоняет всякий страх. Мы благодарим тебя, Господь, за то, что ты дал нам надежду. Мы не будем бояться болезней, мы не будем бояться поражений, мы не будем бояться каких-то ужасных новостей. Мы будем иметь надежду на тебя, наш Господь. Lord, I pray that you will also give us message of understanding standing and wisdom, uh, how to live in this uh, wicked and, and uh, uh, very, very uh, complex generation. It's hard to understand all these cultural influences, but we thank you, God, that your word is eternal. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing through your word, and I pray that you will open our minds, that we would be humble enough to receive your word, to apply it in our daily life and see the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers. And I would like to jump to the topic 
honestly tell you, honestly, uh, it's hard to talk about something that you've done 10 years ago or, or 15 years ago, right? So uh, if I ask you what you've done 10 years ago, right? Some of you are like, I was in kindergarten. That's fine. Okay, don't give away your, your, your age. But um, today's topic is, is, is speaking about the, the single life. And, and I'm married and I have a, a daughter who's turning uh, 10 years old this, this, this uh, year. So it's kind of, kind, of, kind of like, you know, the first grade. But there's still advantage. There's still advantage for the married person to share something that he or she went through. Right? It's like first grade and 10th grade. If you ask 10th grader to remember something that happened in first grade, chances are they will remember. But if you ask first grader to talk about algebra, <laughs> and, and, and you know, I, I've heard some preachers who preach about marriage and, and uh, how to love your wife or how to love your husband, and they're not married. It's funny, but it's possible. It's possible. When God fills us with his Holy Spirit, it's possible. And yet, again, it's better to talk about something that we experience. So today, our topic is called Quality Single Life. I'm reading from the scripture. I'll be referring to this verse a lot. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. This is our key verse for tonight's meditation on God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. If we can read it together one more time. We have it on the screen, right? Let's read it together. For God... That was kind of like spirit of timidity. Can we, can we read it louder? Ready? Go. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but what? But of power and love and discipline. Uh, you probably didn't like the word discipline, right? That's why we were kind of quiet, careful. Okay. That's good. Now, God has a plan. He has a plan for you right now. It's not something that will happen later. It's not something when I grow up or when I get married, then the life will start. Then all of a sudden, I will be a complete person. I will feel like I'm successful and, and so on and so forth. God has his plan for every single person at this given moment. A child, a teenager, a young person, older person, anyone who lives on this earth has a plan and purpose from God. Say amen if you believe this. Because otherwise, whatever we do, if it's meaningless, if it's purposeless, if it doesn't make sense, then there's something wrong. We are out of God's will. God's will is perfect. His will is um, perfect for every Christian, first of all. God says that everything works for good, not for every single person, but for Christian person, for the born again, everything works for good. So he has a plan, and I need to understand what I'm existing for, what's the purpose on this earth. 
besides, you know, getting married, right? And I, I will intentionally skip that topic. I'm not going to talk about dating on friendship. That's something later on, if I understand correctly. So if God has a plan for me, I need to understand the season that I live in. In Washington State, it's kind of okay, you know, we, are, we still kind of distinguish between winter and summer. But we just hired a teacher who came from Hawaii. He grew up in Hawaii, and he is a teacher. He was a teacher in Hawaii, and now he's a teacher at TCA. And he says, Alex, I'm a science teacher, but it's really hard to explain to Hawaiian children what winter is. It's like summer, 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 boom, Christmas. And he says, it's, it's just hard. It's very, very well, not monotonous, but kind of the same, right? Not much diversity. In our lives, we need to understand the season that we live in. We are going through the seasons. We go through the summer, there's fall, there is winter. And I'm not talking childhood, uh, being young, and winter is being old. We're just going through the cycles. God said that the summer and winter, sowing and reaping, will not end. And in the same way as it works in physical word, it works in our lives. And so I have to understand the time that I live in. I have to understand seasons of, the, uh, of life. I have to understand the time in general, the culture I live in. I need to understand that people who went through some significant experiences in their lives, they are acting certain ways, speaking certain ways, and, and they think certain way. They have certain mindset. So <clears throat> I'm not going to go into much details, but I'll take at least five minutes to talk about our current generation. There are <clears throat> scientists, demographers, who actually give, this, uh, give these labels to the periods in time. It's very interesting because if you look back at the American history, and I did research on uh, American uh, culture, on Russian culture compared, and uh, there's a consensus for the most part about, uh, between the scientists of any country that every 20 years approximately, with the exception of the last 15 years, the new generation comes into the cultural um, uh, landscape. So basically 20 years and something new happens in this world, so significant that the next generation is visibly different from the previous one. And if you look at the American culture, uh, I'm going to go just five, six generations back. There's like 18 of them. You can read and kind of, if you love history, this is very interesting. It really has this, you know, cycles, you know, and, and repeats and goes on and on. Uh, but the, the recent ones, like 100, 150 years ago, um, the famous lost generation. I mean, it's not famous, but it's lost generation called so because when they were born in 1893, 1900s, there were certain things happening in the United States uh, that this generation was kind of forgotten. Nothing special happened, even though it's important. They, they went through certain cycles. Then the great generation, they were born in 1901, 1924, 25. Um, they obviously, when they grew up, 
they went to the war, Second World War, uh, War II, and, and so on and so forth. A lot of things happened in their lives. They were patriots. Hey, uh, you know, we have to fight for freedom and stuff like that. And then there was uh, the silent generation, 1925 through 1945, who were, uh, who were born. And these people were kind of like, you know, working hard. We have to restore the economy. And um, uh, from that generation, there was no president of the United States. You know, for 20, 25 years, nobody, everybody's like really compliant. Hey, let's follow the rules. Let's do this stuff together. We'll have to rebuild the economy and so on. And then baby boomers come, right? Anybody heard this? Yeah, baby boomers sounds like, oh, baby, Toys R Us. No, baby boomers, by the way, this is the only official uh, formal label that is actually recognized by the uh, United uh, Census of Bureau, Bureau of Census. Census. <laughs> uh, the, the formal label, right? Why? Because the whole generation, they were trying to build their future. Okay, American dream. We have to have a family. We have to get married. We have to build a house. The life will be cool. And so that whole generation, they were affected by certain experiences. We're moving to Generation X. I'm skipping it. Uh, it's not XXX, by the way. It's just Generation X. I'm going to talk about this for two hours in the Bible school on, on uh, February 11th. So if you're interested, uh, we will talk about some interesting things. But the last two generations, Generation Y or Millennials, that's me, some of you, and Gen Z or Generation Z. These two generations, truly the last days, as it's written in the Bible, the last generations, there are um, sort of familiar, you're familiar with them. And we need to understand certain things. I'll go quickly through the list, but two main points that actually shaped the mindset of people who were born at this time. So millennials are 1981. I was born 1981, so I got the right generation, not Generation X, <laughs> Generation Y. And um, Generation Z starting approximately, again, this is demographers' estimates, 1996, 1997. Some of you are like, whoo, I'm not Gen Z. Others like, yeah, I'm Gen Z. Okay, so let's talk about you. Generation Z, these people, they lived with the internet and it became a key part of their daily life. Are you happy about that? Not really, okay. That doesn't matter. I mean, doesn't matter. You, 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 you don't remember, most of you don't remember the time when there was no internet, right? Raise your hand if you remember that time. Okay, good. <laughs> Maybe not in your house, right? Not in your smartphones, but well, this is important because we, we kind of think, okay, that's fine. But technology, the, the development, the, the growth of technology, the improvement of technology is so crucial for this generation that it can be, it can be compared to the World War II for silent generation. Seriously, the World War II, you can imagine people coming, you know, some people lost their relatives, some people coming from the war. They are trying to rebuild, you know, the, the economy and stuff like that. And in the same way, how that event put the imprint on the lives of the people in the same event, we, millennials, Gen Z, we cannot 
flee. We cannot run away from technology. Technology is, uh, according to some statistics, uh, technology is 65% uh, of Gen Z say that digital device addicts, addictions, is a normal thing. That's them. So two out of three young people say, I'm addicted to digital devices. 58% of Gen Z say, I am always moderately stressed. There are different re reasons, of course, but one of the things, since we are exposed to technology, we need to understand that this is a force. This is something that affects our schedule, our thinking. And if 20 years ago even, or maybe 30 years ago, a teenage girl, she would never know what happened in Virginia high school. I mean, who cares what happened there? But now you open it up, and on the news, somebody got killed. And you're like, wow, that's scary. I mean, what does it have to do with your life? But that brings certain stress and anxiety. On the other side, FOMO, right, fear of missing out, is a real thing. It's already becoming a diagnosis. It's becoming something that, that is a problem. Okay, uh, uh, what? You know, for the whole youth service, I'm not going to check how many likes I have on Instagram? No way. And that puts a certain, certain imprint on the culture that we live in and on the people. Now, let me just ask you a question. If that, that's about our daily life, do you think that technology has some influence on a spiritual life? I'm not looking for the answer. Just think about it. Do you think that technology has some influence, positive influence, maybe negative influence, on your spiritual life? Because if it does, we have to do something about it. Gen Z, um, this is a generation that is not as idealistic as millennials. It's no longer such a big thing to pursue American dream in terms of building a house. In, in fact, you know, th these days people live a minimalistic lifestyle. They try to save, they try to like, okay, house, maybe not house, but I'm not saying that people don't love money. No. It's the opposite. Generation Z is all about money, okay? How much money I can make so, you know, so that I can retire at 35 or something like that. And, and uh, at the same time, it's a little bit different generation than millennials. Sexuality became a really big factor that defines our generation. And um, unfortunately, things like, let's be honest, you know, Barack Obama, eight years of godless person who's trying to promote things where right now, you know, you ask any average person in our state, unfortunately, some Christians, they would say, so what? Homosexuals, if they truly love each other, they can have marriage and they can have a good marriage and, and, and succeed. And that's not normal. Tolerance to the sin, gender identity or you know, fluidness uh, of identity, things that become, you know, normal. We, we, we talk about it. We have a volunteer who came <clears throat> from UW, and, and I'm not saying that UW is worse than PLU or something like that, you know. 
I'm not comparing it, right? PLU is better. No, just kidding. So she says that in their classes, and I, I think it's true, it would happen last week, you have to have a name tag where you indicate the pronoun that you want to be referred to. Is that true? Maybe somebody can confirm that. It's true, right? So, well, I believe that, uh, that lady, but um, isn't that, and, and she said, that offends me. Isn't that obvious I'm a woman? For some really smart people, you have to write that I'm actually her or she or, you know, the, the pronouns to refer. But that's the culture that we live in. That's the reality we need to deal with. And if I, if I want to have a quality life, I need to understand what's wrong, what's right. That's why we need to look around. And the Bible gives us a, even a better picture. Let, let's look for another three, four minutes in the Bible and, and specifically look at the things that happen around us. So, just so that you know where I'm heading, I'm not, not trying to re reinvent something. We're talking about problems, then we'll talk about God's promises for this generation. And then we will finish with the definition of the quality single life. Because I do believe that we can have a wonderful life no matter how old we are. Uh, in God, we should enjoy every moment of our lives. So, Second uh, Timothy, but uh, two chapters later, in chapter 3, <clears throat> we read uh, verse 1, the following. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Uh, for men will be lovers of self. So, this is... I'll stop on some of these, right? Lovers of self. We don't have time to talk too much, but this is, culture is called me culture, right? It's a me attitude. And I was worshiping with you guys, not to, to put anyone down or anything, but I'm thinking to myself, all of a sudden, I'm like, what if we didn't have condition? What if we didn't have lights here? How many people would come to worship? If you, if you call someone and say, hey, let's go worship the Lord. But there's, it's cold in there and it's dark. Well, hopefully we have some candles. But I'm saying it's inconvenient, right? There are no chairs. No, we might not even consider that, right? Lovers of self, lovers of money. Like I said, unfortunately, this generation, our, our time, uh, even though we're called entrepreneurial, uh, mindset. Um, we, we have all these, you know, intricate definitions and explanations why we do what we do. But that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate because if you're 13, 14 year old and you think that by advertising some clothes on Instagram and getting money, that's how life works, you know, and you should get, you know, uh, retirement by, by, by when you're 35, that something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with people. Seriously. And I'm not saying that you cannot be creative. In fact, I believe that there's, a, there's advantage in, in, the, in certain you know, things that, that this generation has, our generation has. But uh, love of money is such a dangerous thing. When I went to the, uh, was on the way to the United States, uh, one of the friends wrote in my, not diary, block notebook, wrote, Alex, Sasha, don't fall for money. And I was laughing at that time because I was like, I mean, seriously, I don't care about money. I, that, that was true. I mean, I, I had different, different priority in my life. And then I realized that 
over the time, over the years, it's a slow process. It's 10, 15, 20 years, and then you look around and you're like, man, I so much depend on money. And God hates that. God does not give his blessing for someone who makes an idol. Amen? Whether you believe it or not, that's amen. Uh, God does not bless. And we'll look at, at that later. So if I choose my career, if I choose my priorities, uh, I better think about uh, even simple things. Um, will I miss uh, church? Will I miss my friends? What's the priority? Oh, yeah, for a few years I have to, um, I don't know, go somewhere to a different country and make good money. Mm, there's something wrong about your priorities. If job takes you somewhere where you lose friends, you lose church, and, and uh, you, don't have, you don't have an opportunity to effectively minister to others, something's wrong. You have to think about it. Now, malicious gossips. I'm skipping some stuff. <clears throat> it's verse uh, 2. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Hopefully not so many of us, but that happens. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. It's sad. It's sad. Some of you know what happened on Instagram. I have to be really transparent. That's not just my opinion. This is the word of God. If somebody maliciously gossips about others, that's a sin. It's a forgivable sin, okay? But it's a very poisonous sin. And it's really easy to get into habit of judging people, judging pastors. And when you judge somebody else, you're not going to receive any blessing. Because, you know, even, even if there's something boring or in the church, even if there's someone who, who came to the church and you know they sinned or you saw them somewhere, of course, you need to be careful. If, if it's your friend and you're just like, yeah, patting on the shoulder, that's fine. That's wrong. But if it's somebody who came to worship the Lord, who came to this youth service, and he is looking for God, looking for Jesus, what right do I have to judge him or her? So in the last days, that's going to be a danger. Without self-control. Self-control is a big thing, and, and I'm not going to go into details. Just ask yourself if you're working in the, you know, that, what is it called, incognito, uh, secret mode thing, right? When you, when you search for something and you cover it up, if you hide something, just hide in life. Okay, I'm, well, this is, this is not something that my parents will like or my pastor. Um, be, be careful. We have to have self-control. Brutal. Haters of good. Treacherous. Reckless. Ah, reckless. What does that mean? Reckless driving comes to my mind, right? Reckless. So many stupid things people do to get more likes, to get more popularity, and so on. We have to be careful. We have to be careful because some mistakes are not going to, to leave our life. I have unfortunately some examples in my life where I regret. Many years later, I regret. I had to obey God. I had to be obedient. I should not, I should have actually skipped that opportunity to take 
uh, volleyball or, or tennis in TCC. And you'll be like, Alex, what are you talking about? I know what I'm talking about. At a certain time in my life, sports were everything for me. I took that class. I had an injury that prevents me from quality physical life now. You know, I start jogging and, and, and it just uh, three, four miles and, and I can't do it. And I can't do it. It's a, it's a mistake. It's a reckless, it's a reckless, foolish thing. And you got to be careful because certain things will stay with you for the rest of your life. They are holding to a form of godliness, verse 5, uh, although they have denied its power. We were talking about, we started with the verse where it says, God gave us the spirit of what? The spirit of what? Power, right? It's not God's spirit if we only have a form. We're holding to a form. Some people would say, well, at least that's good. At least, you know, he's holding the church. Uh, not for a long time, you know. I tried in my li life. I tried to actually get some friends who don't go to church and, and pray with them. And we prayed together and we went to church. But if the person doesn't want to, if that's just fake, just going through emotions, two, three years later, and then fall away. So <clears throat> we have to be careful. And uh, I'm moving on, but realize the scripture says, verse 1 of this same ch chapter, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Difficult times. For whom are they difficult? Come on. For whom these times are difficult? For all people? For those who enjoy this sin? Or for those who hate sin. It's a difficult time. And people will, the Bible will, uh, says that in the last days, actually, people will say, finally, peace, safety. Finally, peace on the earth, for peace for the whole world, and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, as a robber in the night, this uh, last day will come. So people will basically be insensitive to what's going around. They will not understand that this is dangerous time. But the Bible says that for the believers, this will be a difficult time. And um, even though it's difficult time, brothers and sisters, my friends, God has a promise for us. Amen. He has a promise of deliverance. He has a promise. And I actually really believe in, and I proclaim that in the life of my children already, that this generation and then generation to come will be a stronger and more anointed generation than the existing one. Can you say amen? You got to believe that. God is not mo moving downhill. He is not, and I'm not talking about like revival in a sense of, oh, Seattle, we have a huge tent and people are coming and repenting. God bless. If that happens, that's cool. I believe that God will miraculously work in minds and hearts of people, maybe even online and through, through technology, because this is not topic of today, but I do believe that technology can be redeemed for God. And it can be used for His glory. What I believe is that this generation will meet God and it will celebrate His coming. It will not be the church that is just sleepy, you know, like those five uh, foolish. But even if we are sleepy in the last days, we still should have that anointing. We should have that oil. We should have that relationship with God. And that's the next thing what I'm talking about. God promises for us a few things. First, the scripture says, 
I'm going back to the key verse, chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. God did not plan to make you a tail, but make you a head. The scripture clearly says and paints this picture of the person who knows the purpose and direction of his life as a head. And the purpose who does not know where he or she is going as a tail. So God did not give us a fear. He did not plan for us to live in, you know, and be scared of the time we live in or things that happen in our life. He has a plan for us. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, uh, 13 says, The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you only will be above. Say with me, above. This is such a good word. Just, just think about yourself being above something. You have a good picture. You have a good uh, position. And the scripture says you will be only above and you will not be underneath if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God. And then in verse 44 of the same chapter, he shall lend to you, uh, somebody else, but you will not lend to him. He shall be the head and you will be the tail. That's a curse. That's a flip. Uh, and uh, it talks about people who do not obey God's word. They will be beggars, basically. So when he talks about the head, he says, you will have success. You will be lending money. You will be giving something to people. You will be sharing because life with Jesus is the life with abundance. You will have something to share. And... Uh, I don't know what you choose, honestly. You can choose whatever, but I choose to be the head. I choose to be and stay above, not underneath. And that's why we need to have this Holy Spirit. Well, question number one or number two among students at T Tacoma Christian Academy, how can I have the Holy Spirit? This is a good question. This is a good question because without the Holy Spirit, everything what we will talk about God's promises does not work. It's a fake thing. It looks like God's work in life. It looks like I prayed and God gave me a car or God blessed me, but in reality, it was not God. I mean, God is everywhere. He's in the chair, in the, everywhere. But particularly for that situation, it might not be God's will. God's will for us, if we have the Holy Spirit, if we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, if we are walking in the Holy Spirit, then we can count on, first of all, His power. He gave us the Spirit of power. And the Spirit of power, in other words, it's the Spirit of influence. If you don't have influence on the people around you, not saying the church and college and university necessarily, but on the neighbors whoever is close in your life, if you don't have that, ask yourself a question. Maybe you don't have His Spirit. Maybe you're not walking in His Spirit because His Spirit is not a thing. It's a person. It's God. And it takes relationships and takes time to build relationships with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you're praying. I don't know if you're talking with the Holy Spirit. It is okay. It's, again, it's a different topic. Some people will say, no, you don't pray to the Holy Spirit. You can talk with the Holy Spirit. You can talk in the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of things. But the thing is, if you do not know what the Holy, or who the Holy Spirit is, you're missing a big thing. But I want you to understand, I'm talking about the Spirit of power. I want you to understand that Christ 
is the head of every man. Men say with me, Christ is my head. I hope so. Because you will not survive, especially when you get married. The rest of the verse says that, and a man is the head to a woman, right? But the man cannot be a smart head if the man does not have a head, which is Christ. This is important. If you want to learn how to live a quality, single life and enjoy this season, the spirit in your life, you need to make Christ your head. That means being obedient to him. That means listening to his directions. That means, by the way, listening to your parents. I know it sounds like a stretch, but God is speaking to you through your parents. No matter what you think about your parents, I'm on their side. <laughs> I'm on my parents' side. and I'm a parent. God speaks through parents to children. And if we obey them, I know it sounds like boot camp. How can I humble myself enough to listen to them? You have to. There is no detour. There is no other way. If you make Christ your head, you will have to be obedient to him and to people above you. What does God promise for a single young lady? Uh, in the scripture, it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32, one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how she may please the Lord. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. What's interesting, right? When it talks about ladies, mentions both spirit and body. For, for men, it's mostly spirit, right? Now, what are you concerned about, young ladies? What are you concerned about? Don't answer, okay? But think about it. Because the scripture is pretty clear. If you forgot the verse, read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 32-33. Seek God's kingdom, ladies, sisters, and everything else will be added to you. You will see that. At a certain point in your life, you might be disappointed and upset. It's okay. Keep it up. Follow him. God knows the timing. God knows the, uh, what's the true blessing. We don't know. We don't know. We think that, oh, that's such a blessing. Listen, I got married when I was 26, right? That's too late, right? Okay, no. Well, kind of. So I went through real single life. And I remember times when I was on my knees and I was crying. And every time God would give me such presence of his love. And I would understand that even if I won't get married, even if I will go to Africa and become missionary for the rest of my life. That sometimes, you know, so dangerous, so self-pity. Like, Lord, I'm going to go to Africa and serve you there. Like, okay, no, you have to get married. So I got married. And, but, and, and that's the next thing. Let's move on. So he gives the spirit of power and he gives the spirit of love. Unfortunately, love is what you hear in this culture, for the most part, 99% of the time, that's a distortion of God's perfect love. Even in a sense, unfortunately, for this generation, in a sense or in context of friendship, 
You know why there's so much of transgender in, in talk and identity talk? People get so much confused, so confused. They don't distinguish between, you know, brotherly love, God's love. Uh, I mean, obviously, no God's love, but even like simple things that used to be for thousands of years, normal thing. I have a friend. I have a male friend. In a good sense, I mean, how can I explain that to a brainwashed generation that you can be friends without gay thoughts or, or things like that? I mean, things that, that were, were not even crossing our mind. I was, I was in, the youth, in the youth, you know, a long time ago, 20 years ago, right? Even, even, and, and I remember there was time when we, we had to stay overnight with a, I remember, a youth leader. And there was like this bad, really small bad, так, с такими пружинами, знаете, как на Україні, що два чоловіка легло і одразу скатились друг на друга. And, and it would not even cross my mind. I mean, years later, I would be like, how was my single life? And I'm like, praise God, you know, we didn't even think those thoughts. But unfortunately, this is, a, the, the Lord says, this is a perverted generation. Evil, wicked, perverted. A lot of mindset is so messed up. And as Christians, by the way, I'm, I'm sort of criticizing Gen Z, but statistics say that Gen Z, truly born-again Christians, young men and women, they are much more conservative and traditional in their view on marriage and sexuality. Praise God. Praise God. They are so different from the rest of the unborn and, and, and just pretend or fake Christians who, who just say they're Christians. So there is hope. There is hope to show the true love. And by the way, this friendship, it's interesting, but think about Daniel and his three friends. I, I always thought that Daniel, he put in his heart to not defile himself, to stay pure. And then he, I thought, he looked around and he found three friends and they started praying together. The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, I think it was the opposite. I think that when Daniel put this in his heart, there, there were three young men who looked at him and said, we want to be like him. We want to do the same thing. So when you say to me that how can I choose, you can choose your friends, right? And not necessarily that you have... Choose somebody who is holier. Choose somebody who actually goes to youth prayers. Choose someone who at least, you know, invited you once to the youth choir and so on. Choose someone who, or unchoose, you know, you can. It's not just an online trick where you, you know, unfriend people. And you know how to unchoose them? What's the best way to dump your friends, unwanted friends? I actually have read an article, but, but this is different. This is different. No, no. Seriously, you don't dump anyone. Hold on to the truth, the Bible says. Love Jesus. And friends who do not share the same priorities and values, they will leave you. Okay, you will see if they are true friends. Those who will want to become like you, they will stay. Those who don't want to do anything to deal with, with God and His Holy Spirit, they will leave you. You will not have any problems of choosing, how do I break this news? You're not longer any friend. Just start living normal life, okay? Pray, um, live honest life, don't cheat on the test in the school. And the, and the friends will be like, are you serious? You're not my friend any longer. Or they will change and, and become your best friends. Amen?
ah, there's such a good example in the Bible uh, about fr uh, friends. Gotta skip it. And, and uh, Ephraim, oh boy, this is good stuff. This is good stuff because I, I find some stuff in First Chronicles, 2 Chronicles about ladies who build cities. And I found about guys who were like doing stupid things and, and they were killed, all nine sons, in the same day. day. And you can ima imagine this father who has nine bodies laying, you know, sons. That's his children. He's crying. And the Bible says Ephraim. Ephraim was Joseph's son. And his nine sons went to Gath to steal some cattle. After all, Ephraim was the son of Joseph. They were rich people. They lived in the wonderful land, the best part of Egypt. And his sons were just for the sake of cool or whatever they thought. They went to take something that did not belong to them and got killed in the same day. That's such a sad thing when parents cry because their children died before the right time, before the, the time that they were supposed to die. And the same father has a daughter by the name Shira who built two cities. At that time, women, they, they were just cooking, you know, in the kitchen and, and washing uh, diapers or whatever. But this lady, she was realtor. She was a pretty smart girl, okay? She followed certain things. She learned certain lessons. She made the right choices. And if I want to have a normal, at least normal life, I have to learn to make right choices. Give me please three more minutes. I, I'll finish. I have a lot to talk about, but I'll finish with these three last points. What is a quality life? When I look at the quality product, when I look at something that has quality, okay, it has value to it. Okay? It doesn't cost just a few bucks. It's something that most likely is expensive. And the person who wants to have a blessed life needs to pay the price. I don't know anything else. You got to pay the price. I have to pay the price. The verse after this says, uh, verse 8, 1 Timothy 7, we read, but verse 8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. There will be some suffering, not necessarily physical, not necessarily you will be stoned to death, but you will have to die for yourself. And that's because you wanted to have a normal not normal, quality. When I think about quality, it's, it's some excellence. It's some standard that, that we measure against. And if I want to have that quality life, I have to pay the price. But quality also means that I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to enjoy something. I'm going to enjoy this product. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to know where I'm going. I know that I have a purpose in my life. Gen Z, one of the worst things about Gen Z is that they are ready to choose money over the purpose in their life. They want to choose, that's not about us, I hope, they want to choose financial stability over the purpose and meaning in life. And if you want to have enjoyment, purpose, and meaning in life, 
you got to make some sacrifice. You have to pay the price. You should not be ashamed of God. Quality products have excellence comparing to the standards. I remember my friend who came from Ukraine a few years ago, and this was his second time, and he says, I need to go shopping, like before they go back. He, he's a preacher, and some of you know him, uh, Sergi. And um, <laughs> he said, uh, last time I was in the United States, I learned a lesson. I'm not going to shop in Walmart. I said, yeah, you're right. You know, we don't shop there for shoes, you know. I'm not going to do that. Because uh, if you want to have a quality product, if you want to have quality shoes, you will have to uh, go special place. If you want to have a life that you can share with others, that you can share with your kids, that you can share with your wife and not be ashamed of, you have to pay the price. You have to have the purpose in your life. And you have to be committed. Verse 9 says, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. God blesses the person in any season of his or her life, but especially a single person. His blessing is for a single person who has purpose in life. God does not give blessing that is not attached to the purpose. If you don't have purpose, if you, and when I say purpose, that means following God, being obedient wherever you are. Whatever you do with your life, keep doing, except sin. Keep doing whatever career you're pursuing, but obey God, listen to God. Because his blessing is not going to be on reckless people who don't know what they do. And like I said, even if though sometimes it seems like I have money, I have success, that's not God blessing you. Okay, wake up. It's just you making God letting you do something for a while. But it's going to disappear. You're going to regret that you wasted your life. So to have the life that is blessed by God, we need to obey him and follow him. First, choose to believe him. Second, choose to be the head, not the tail. Third, choose to pay the price. And talk to me 10 years later. I guarantee you, you're not going to regret that you made that choice. Let's all pray. God, I thank you for this time that we can spend together. I know that we are limited, but hopefully we can open our eyes to the things that you promised for us. You gave us the spirit that is not the spirit of timidity or fear. You gave us confidence in the Holy Spirit that brought us power, influence, that brought us true love, the love for us, love for others, and that brought us self-discipline or sound mind. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us this sound mind, that you will help us to make the right choice, help us to make the choice that will honor you, that will glorify you, God. We want to serve you. We want to serve you with our youth, with our money, with our time, with everything what we have, God. All the resources, all the things that we receive from you, we give back to you, God. That's what we sing. That's how we live.
And I pray, Lord, that you will help my brothers and sisters to make the right choice so that when they turn around later in their lives, they can say, praise God. The word of God is true. The Lord is faithful. The Lord has blessed my life. And Lord, I want to just proclaim your blessing for the brothers. I bless them as men and leaders right now who can influence the environment around them. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless them and prepare for them your blessings, the marriage that they will have, the things that they will need to accomplish in their lives. Lord, in the same way, I bless my sisters. Lord, I also have two daughters, and I pray for them as for my daughters. I pray that your blessing be upon them. Help them to be obedient to you, as your word says, to please you in body and spirit. Teach them what that means. God, I pray that you will provide for their needs, that you will provide healing for whoever needs healing. Right now, God, whoever's praying, whoever's concerned, whoever has this fear of not being healthy, Lord, I proclaim your healing in their lives. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless them in their marriage if they give them if you give them family god may they be blessed and lord i pray that you will strengthen our youth and bless us in jesus name amen